women sports fans are so avid. They have to work so hard to be fans. So when you have them, they are much more likely to buy products from companies that support the athletes that they love. Before they get in your business, be in charge in your business. Own it cause it's your business, your business, business. Handle all in your business, value all in your business. You say your mind in your business, my business. What's up, what's up, good people? Welcome into Montgomery and Company. I'm Renee Montgomery, so listen. We got some heavy hitters today. We have one of those, you know, those top agents. Show me the money! Jerry Maguire style. We got Erin Kane, who she represents some of our top women's athletes, and we're going to talk about that. We also have Jeremy Fall, who, what chef gets signed to Rock Nation? Like, how does that happen? Like, how did you do that, Jeremy? Well, I'm going to ask him about that. And then also, we got MoCo Newsroom coming through. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in sports. There's a lot going on in business. So we're going to talk about that with MoCo Newsroom. It's lit. We're turned up. Let's go. We all know the WNBA Finals is going on. I'm recording this right now on Tuesday. As everybody knows, the game was Wednesday, so I don't know what has happened in game four of the WNBA finals, but what I do know is that Chelsea Gray will not be suited up, nor will Kia Stokes, two of the Las Vegas Aces starters. So it makes me think about adversity in sports, and so that's what I'm about to talk about because when it comes to sports, all there is is adversity. It's like very rarely in sports is everything going right because you got to think about this in sports. If your team is playing well, and they're killing it, there's going to be somebody on that team that wishes that they were getting more minutes to be more part of that success. Not that they wish that there was less success, but they wish that they were more a part of the success. They played a bigger role. They want to have an impact and be a part of everything good that's going on. So that's already a juggling act that coaches are having to deal with where you have a player on the bench that knows that if they got more minutes, they could produce more. I mean, think about on your favorite team if you're a fan. There's always that person that when they come in the game, you're like, oh, man, they have really good minutes. They are really impactful. Even think about the New York Liberty where Marine, everybody's getting a hold of Marine now, and they're like, okay, MJ got it like that. You got LeBron tweeting about her. You got Tony Parker pulling up to the games. The French connection happened in there. You got, oh, my goodness, Victor Wimbanyana wearing her jersey in the tunnel walk. Okay, you can see that this player has a lot of talent, but I bet you those same fans will know that there's some games where you probably wish she had more minutes or you're like, oh man, why didn't she play? Or she probably could have helped us. That's sports. That's called adversity. There's coaches that are like, well, you know, the reason that she didn't play those minutes is because Benaja Laney's killing it. And there's like, when you start to look at Benaja Laney and you start to notice like, yeah, she's killing it you start to have to see it's the same discussion that happens when the first team whatever comes out. So, you know, like if you have first team All-NBA, second team All-NBA, or you have NBA All-Star, WNBA All-Star, first team All-WNBA League fits, because, you know, fashion is a big deal now. Players are always like, wait, I feel snubbed. There's always going to be players that you feel are snubbed, and then you're going to always have to go to that list and be like, all right, who are you taking off the list? Because right now the WNBA just had that. You know, we had our first team announced, our second team announced, and we even had the league fits, first and second team announced. People felt like they were snubbed. That's sports, that's adversity, that's life. So when I think about what happens now, okay, the Las Vegas Aces, I'm sure they felt like all season they've had to go through adversity. They weren't allowed a replacement player or one of those players throughout the whole season, you know, for whatever reason. So I'm felt they probably feel like they already had adversity, even though people probably are like, oh man, you guys are killing it. I played on super teams before where that championship, yeah, we won it. You know, like even let's take my senior year at UConn. We didn't lose a game. We lost zero games and I was stressed out. It was like one of the most stressful years of my life, of my entire life. And we went undefeated. We lost zero games. And baby, the adversity was high. The stress level was high. The energy was high. Everything was high. I was stressed out. 
So I'm just like bringing that up because a lot of times we see these two super teams going head to head. And yes, we saw, you know, New York hit adversity early and people started to talk about it early. Like, oh, wow, this team was supposed to be a super team. It's like, yes, they still are. Because look at the players on the team. That's what makes them a super team. Just right now, they're figuring it out. It's the same for Vegas. They've had, whether they're a super team or not, there's so much adversity. We're going into game four of the finals. Now, if you're the Las Vegas Aces, you probably feel like I've already been through so much adversity because I've already told y'all just because it's a good team doesn't mean that there was no stress. So I'm sure that the Las Vegas Aces have had a lot of stress because they want to be the best. And now you lose two starters going into game four of five total games in the WNBA finals. Man, I mean, this is theater because look at this, like how it all sets up. Vegas wins the first two games and it's not even close. The first two games were won by a combined 45 total points. We broke down the stats of the New York Liberty guards against the Las Vegas Aces guards. And it was dramatic. 153 points to like 49 points in the two games. It was dramatic. And then here comes the New York Liberty. They're like, yeah, okay, wait till we get home. And they had to play for pride. Their coach called them out. Sandy Brondello was like, that's unacceptable what we just did. Unacceptable. So the players took it personal. I'm sure they had to come to Jesus meeting, even if they didn't make it public. Somebody on that team was like, look, we're not going out like that. We can't go out like that. So then they come in game three and they come out swinging and you can just already tell it's a different team and it's at home and they sold Brooklyn out. They sold the Barclays out. It was over 17,000. It was actually 17,143 people, I believe, sold out Barclays. And they had, I mean, it was popping. They had little Kim come through. I mean, it was popping. It was a party. Ted Lasso was on the sidelines going crazy. Vivica Fox was there. All the WNBA legends were there. It was a who's who event. And the home team won. Roy told me, don't forget about Ellie. (laughs) We can't forget about Ellie, who Cardi B just shouted out Ellie. Because if y'all don't follow Big Liberty Ellie, I'm going to tell you right now, when she get the swing in that tail and the, my sound like bongo, I ain't scared to admit. I'm telling you, Ellie, it's a show happening. And this is the most theater thing of sports. That's why I say there's no reality TV better than sports, because right now, New York Liberty are surging. It's no question. And, and, and now the New York Liberty are down two to one with one more home game. Okay, (laughs) and Roy is saying better than the Crimson Tides mascot. He's talking about Ellie. Now, listen, Roy is fighting that fight with y'all live. I'm just saying it. I'm just the mouthpiece. But now we got the New York Liberty home again for game four. Chelsea Gray's not playing. Kia Stokes is not playing. They have an opportunity. You got to remember, if you're listening to this, I don't know what happened. So I'm just as excited as you to see. But they have an opportunity to tie it up two to two and go into game five on the road in Vegas. Now, I didn't mention this already because those games have passed, but Vegas on games one and two, they sold the joint out a week before it even happened. It was sold out. It was star-studded as well. The Los Angeles Lakers team pulled up. It was a who's who event there. I think Ted Lasso flew there too because he's a big New York fan. It was a who's who event. It was the same thing in Vegas. So what I'm saying is that sports, man, if you like drama and if you like just energy, uh, uh, energy, but if you like all of that, I'm telling you right now, it's lit. It's lit to be a WNBA fan. It's lit to see how now more people are starting to get into the WNBA. Shouts to Black Twitter. I see the crossover happening, and it's just crazy. And Roy wants me to say that Ted Lasso's real name is Jason Sudeikis. Boom. (laughs) And he's clapping. Boom. (laughs) Because I said that right. Let's go. So the WNBA, man, we lit. And it's like, and if you're wondering, like, I'm the co-owner and vice president of the Atlanta dream. And I stand 10 toes down for the dream all day. Those are my babies. That's my squad. But what's happening right now is a beautiful thing. It's giving you everything you could have wanted in sports. It's giving you theater. It's giving you the best performances. It's giving you just energy. 
So I don't know, man. I'll be covering game four, just like I was covering game one, two, and three. And I'll be covering game five if we have it. I'll be covering it on NBA TV. Catch me on the post game, baby. Let's get it. memoir falling upwards living the dream one panic attack at a time which i mean come on title let me start a little earlier because okay you wrote a book but i want to start with we got to figure out how does a chef sign to rock nation like how does that happen i was at a king's game with my friend chris who's an old an old friend of mine for um i would say for i think over a decade now and at the time i was looking for a manager and I wanted his opinion and he had just gone to Rock Nation. And then we basically talked through the idea of him, of him and I working together. Mm-hmm. This was years ago. And then from there, we decided to to make it official and he was at Rock. So Jeremy, this is going to be an interview about you trying to convince us how boring you are. And I'm not going to let it happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's see who's a better debater. All right, Beth, then I'm going to get right into it. Your memoir is called Falling Upwards, Living the Dream, One Panic Attack at a Time. That's not boring. Why? How did you come up with that? The title? Yes, the title, literally. Well, my last name is Fall. So that's <laughs> that's one that's one of the reasons why. Uh, and then, you know, the, the concept of falling upwards is basically you're going through things that you're dealing with, but you're on the up in terms of like, you know, getting in this, in this scenario, it's like bettering my mental health and and becoming more comfortable and happy with myself. So it felt like a fitting title, especially with my last name. And I feel like falling downwards would have been really depressing. (laughs) (laughs) So you really don't want us to think you're that depressing, but yeah, exactly. exactly. (laughs) Okay. It's interesting because you wrote a book and you're signed to rock nation. And I feel like we previously have no signed, idea. But by the way, previously signed, previously yes, signed, sorry, yeah. previously signed, hey, no but we really have no idea why. So it's like when you present and you're like, Hey, I need a manager. I was told one time that you don't need a manager until you have something to manage. And so clearly they came <laughs> on board because you had something to manage. Uh-huh. This war, we're going to, what were you doing that made them say yes? Because it's not going to just say yes to anybody, Jeremy. Well, I wasn't posing with in photos with Nas. <laughs> oh, wow, this guy's good. <laughs> Contrary to you. But <laughs> I guess I do have some with Jay-Z. But, but <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm oh, joking. you oh. do. You don't have any photos with Jay-Z? I have no idea. I, I may. I, from the Rock Brunch, potentially. Okay, because I'm going there next. <laughs> but... I mean, you know, it's funny when you say that, like something to manage, like that's interesting because I do feel like a lot of people just get these teams just to say they have them and then they, they don't do shit. Am I not, sorry, am I allowed to cuss on this? You are actually. Okay, they don't do sh- Okay. But <laughs> essentially like the way I've looked at my career still to this day is very much like you would an artist or a musician. You mean, I mean, products like food products are like tracks. I mean, you do brand deals. I used to look at restaurants like albums almost when I had restaurants, you know, cause it was just like this like inspiration for something. And then, I mean, it really depends on like how you look at, but if you zoom out, it's very similar. There's an in-person aspect with like touring and cooking demos and things like that. Like I, I do think they actually resemble each other more than people realize. I guess the one thing that musicians have that's that I'm more jealous of is that they can upload something and hit people around the world. Like I have a physical product that needs to get to people. So it's like, how do you tell the story where, you know, I have, I have fans from around the world who have never tried my food and who are still fans. Right. And I've had conversations with them before. I think for me, food was always a way to tell stories, you know, and it was like, I never try to compete to make like the best pork belly or whatever it is. Like a lot of chefs compete on technique. I would, in terms of technique, like I would get annihilated. I don't compete or anything like that. That's just not what I do. Um, but I think where my strength is, is telling the story around the food, you know, doing things that are different where people are like, oh, shit. like that's very, it's a very unique take on looking at the food world. So I think people become fans of that and through that get inspired to like carve their own path and like follow their dreams. I think that's where the, that's where I connect with people the most. Man, I love this. I would have never compared an artist and a chef before I met Jeremy Fall, but I've never met a chef that ever got signed like this before. So this is great because 
now I want to see more. Like I've already, obviously, you know, I stopped you before we came on here. For so sure. I did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were at the ESPYs the same time, by the way. I just realized that on your seeing your, your photo, I think we were there. Just, yeah, I think so, so. Jeremy, do you think it's normal these events you're at? Because like you just said you was at the. What is that supposed to mean? <laughs> well, because you try to act like you're so boring and it's like you were at the ESPYs, you were at the Rock Nation brunch. First of all, there's nobody that's normal there. Everybody there is above average, excelling humans in a sense of anything. And you were in the building. So what was that like? What was the, like that is an infamous brunch, Jeremy. Well, if I was managed by them, I would hope they invite me to brunch. Otherwise, that would have been I would have felt very left out. But well, the guest list could have been short. <laughs> that is true. You know, I think I've I've also always liked to play in lanes that no one else is really dabbling in and kind of and defining what that is for myself. So, you know, a chef that, you know, I, I had a show with Miguel, for example, a, a cooking music show, right? Where like he made a beat, I made a dish. So like we did a season of that. But if you think about like, I could have gone the route doing like the food festival and I have nothing against that, by the way, but like the food festivals, I did some food network stuff, but I could have gone that route, but I was just like, how do I just stick out and be different? And also like one of my advantages you could say is probably my age, right? Like I opened my first restaurant when I was uh, 25. <laughs> Not normal, Jeremy. <laughs> that is That is true. But I also started in nightlife when I was like 16. So I did. So okay. I was like 10 years. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, you did your 10 years in the game. <laughs> yeah. So by the time then it made sense, but, but the advantage that I have is that when I managed to execute something, I don't really have competition in terms of like, okay, he's doing a cooking show with music or he's, or whatever it is. Right. The disadvantage is I have to try to re-educate people into and I'm not saying like re-educate in a good way, by the way, just re-educate people to think outside the box that it's possible, right? Because I have gotten a lot, I over the years I got a lot of bad reviews where people are like, you know, they're so used to thinking inside the box. They're like, why is this person doing this? Why is this yeah. person doing that when they should be? And it's like, it's still today a bit of a of a battle to explain to people that things don't have to necessarily fit in a certain paradigm. Um, but so I would say that's been my biggest is like my biggest challenge is trying to explain that to people, you know, when a lot of people can just say like, would you define yourself? For example, would you, I mean, would you just say like, I'm an athlete? Uh, no, I would not just say I'm only an athlete. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, but if someone were to right now have to describe, they would probably say you're an athlete. Yeah, I hope they do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, like, you know it. Because yeah, it's like it is a part of who I am. So it's like, but some, to some people, it might be only thing I am to them. Yeah, but if you're an athlete that paints or does art, like you're not an artist, like you're just an athlete, of course you're, you know, you're, so it's like, but they're Love still going to be like, oh, you're not, I mean, people call Kanye a rapper. Yeah. People call Jay-Z a rapper. Facts. People call, you know what I mean? Like all these different, one of these people do a lot. I mean, for, people call Pharrell like, a musician. I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. But like, how do you describe me? Like, that's what I mean. So, so it's just, it's interesting. We, we feel the need to check that like DMV box, you know, where it's like, what do you do for a living? So anyways, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. And you talked about like getting bad reviews and you're very open when it comes to mental health. So I'm just curious, like, you know, I thought about panic at the disco one panic at a time. So how do you handle when, you know, you're in the public eye, but you also are taking care of your mental health too. Like, how do you handle your anxiety? Originally, I started out doing things in a very raw way. Like I always think that like the first that you create is going to be the most authentic because you don't care. You have nothing to lose. And then over time I started doing it for the awards, the accolades. I thought of it more of a strategy, like this is what people want to see. And then I started being less and less authentic. And then I think that's why my mental health took a toll. Cause I had, you know, I'd gone Forbes in the 30. I was at the rock brunch. Like that's how the book opens. And all these different things. I had just filmed the, sh I was about to film the show. And that's when I was like, like I have all these things, but why do I feel so depressed? And I think it's because I felt inauthentic. Like I was just, and, and all those things I did, I loved, but it was almost like I wasn't addressing the elf in the room that was, that I was like pretty unhappy and had really tough uh, mental illness that wasn't addressed. I had put on hold. So the way I would compare it is like, you're doing, you're at an amazing place, but you're sick physically 
like you have a really bad flu and you're continuing to pretend you don't, but ultimately you feel like shit, right? So it's just like, that was kind of how I felt. And it was like, I had to take a step back and fix the flu theoretically, you know, and then go back into doing what I was doing. So by complete coincidence, the pandemic hit mm. literally right like during that. So, cause the brunch thing was like end of January, early February and then the pandemic hit March. So like, it was a very quick kind of whirlwind of like, Oh, now I really have to take care of this. You know what I mean? Cause now like, I have... like did getting time to slow down in your opinion now in hindsight, did that help you or did the isolation hurt you? Like which, which way do you think the pandemic? Cause you said right at that time is when it hit. So now in hindsight, how do you feel about that? That's a good question. I mean, you know, I had 14 restaurants. I sold them at the end of 2019. So I went from being never home, always at restaurants, moving around, you know, events, did the show. It was during award season. I mean, I, you probably remember like everyone was starting to talk about this virus, mm -hmm. like that was coming. It was like award season. So like we all had things to do, but everyone was kind of starting to use sanitizer, which by the way, I was always doing that. I don't know why people- <laughs> You mean to tell me you washed your hands with hot water yeah. for at least 20 seconds I before and I didn't, pandemic? And I didn't cough on people. It was crazy. <laughs> I know. So, so like we were, we were, I remember people being like almost making jokes about it. Like, Oh, I got to go wash my hands. And I was like, what the, like, <laughs> you weren't doing that before. But, um, but then like I started working on all this stuff and then the pandemic hit. So I think it, I would say it accelerated my growth in the sense that I think I would have still gone through it pandemic or not, but I probably would have been doing it 50, 50 of the time where I was still, doing events, gone through award season, like all these things yeah. half the time. And versus now I, I, I just had to focus on it a hundred percent. I think that's where it accelerated, but I don't think it's the cause. So that what made me reflect, cause a lot of people, the pandemic caused them to reflect. I was already reflecting. I think it just made me reflect faster. I feel like books are sometimes a reflection. And if it's about yourself, then it's a reflection of you. So like, what do you want people to take away from your memoir? Or like, what, why did you write it? And why did, what do you want people to get out of it? So it's funny. Originally I was, I wrote the book as like, so I wrote, I posted this thing on Instagram. I took a, a detox break, right. From Instagram for like two, three months. And I came back and off that post where I had opened up from about my mental health for the first time, I had like tons of comments and like DMS and like, it was from people I didn't know follow me. Some people didn't follow me. There was a lot of men, which was interesting hmm. that were like, Hey man, like I've never felt I could say this. You just put into word, like, you know, that kind of thing. So, so it, it was interesting because I was like, wow, I should write a book. But my first, my first inclination was I should write a book about like, business lessons kind of like I still went into that where I was thinking like people are connecting to like how I'm writing. And then I went a little bit deeper and I was like, there might be something really about mental health. Like, you know, in a mental health book that's not written by a psychiatrist or therapist or someone who's like, and I don't know if they've done this before, but like if, if like Chrissy Teigen or Beyonce write a mental health book, like it's going to do well, obviously, but it's still not as relatable as someone like me. Right. Because like, I have, like, I still, to a certain extent, like people can connect and relate to me more than they can to someone like, you know, Beyonce or Christine or whoever it is, because sometimes when like very big celebrities write these things, you feel for them, but you don't necessarily connect to it where you're like, this is exactly what's going to happen to me. Cause they're, they're, they've become, you know, larger than life to a certain extent. So I was like, so like I'm in a pretty good midpoint. And then I realized I was like, when I started talking to my agents and the publishers, I really realized how it was like almost like never been done that men were so open about mental health in a way that's relatable. That's not like clinical or whatever. That's very modern, like culturally savvy. That just, it feels like you're talking. Right. So I didn't realize how much of how different that was in other books. Wow. Like, I mean, I can understand everything you say. I think Drake had a line that says, like, I'm getting so big, my music's not even relatable. Like, you know what I mean? So to yeah. your point of it's like if you are writing from your experience and your lived experiences, Jeremy, you're still trying to convince us that you're just normal Joe. But it's like you went to the Rock Nation brunch. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have a Chanel surfboard behind you. I'm, I'm gonna, sorry. I'm going to cover it. <laughs> you are Forbes 30 under 30. Magic Johnson's 32 under 32. You have 
a gazillion followers on Instagram. You're the first few personality managed by Jay-Z's. Like, I'm just going to, I'm just making sure you understand. This is why y'all should read his memoir. Of course, is why I'm letting y'all know this man has lived a lot of lives. His memoir is falling upwards, living the dream one panic at a time. I keep hearing panic at the disco every time you say that. And I feel like we're around the same age. So it's like amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it's amazing. But thank you, Jeremy, for joining me here on MoCo. I love your journey. Of course. Thank you for having me. So you got Jeremy Fall, who was once signed to Rock Nation. And then we got Erin Kane, who was an agent, getting her clients signed to the biggest brands and the biggest companies in the world. I was excited to talk to her. Listen, I keep on with this Jerry Maguire stuff, but women's sports is booming and Erin Kane is in the thick of it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We're here right now with Aaron Kane, and I always talk about like the women's sports game, and we have a sports agent, XL Sports. So, Aaron, I love getting inside the game, and I think that's something that's happening in women's sports right now, where there's more storytelling. We start to find out more about the players. I love it all, and so having you here, you represent some of our top superstars in our lease, but I want to start with why did you get into it? You know, like what brought you to sports? Totally grew up in this business. So um, my dad was a sports agent, different sport. He was, he was a golf agent, but grew up around it. And then just found myself in a role in my late twenties or in a spot in my life where this was the job that I was offered. And I thought, Oh, this is so familiar. I can totally do this. You know, this will be like a six month long thing for me. But I really, in that six months, I found that I appreciated a lot of the challenges in that space at that time. And, and specifically in the, the role that I was working in, I wanted to like overcome those obstacles and meet that challenge. And so that really is what got me hooked in terms of like doing this work over time the job just evolved. And I'm extremely grateful to Elena Deladon for choosing to work with me in 2015, which was really my introduction to women's basketball, like to the WNBA. Since then, it's it's been really incredible. And to see the growth of the game and everything else and, and be part of that and cheering you on, cheering everybody on who's been able to do such incredible things. What is your pitch then? To, I mean, Elena Deladon is an MVP caliber, like for somebody that doesn't have anyone in the space yet, how do you get someone like Elena Deladon? My background up into that point was I'd started working with Jenny Finch in 2006, not as her agent, but really in sort of like a marketing manager or client service role. But that relationship had evolved over time and I had done a lot of work for her. And in that time, I'd also worked on brand partnerships for a lot of top men's sport athletes. And in that had seen the opportunity to like really build relationships with brands. And there's nothing, as you know, or historically, there really hasn't been anything as important as the off the court revenue in women's sports. Like if you wanted to stay in the US, you needed an agent who could find brand partnership opportunities for you. And that was really important to Elena. While I had not worked in women's basketball, my track record otherwise, I think was really pretty compelling. 
One thing I will say is I I feel really lucky throughout my career to have worked with really, really smart people. So, and the athlete might sign with me, but there's always people on my team around me supporting that are also just incredibly smart. It's a team effort. And like I said, you know, I have family connections to Delaware as well. Oh, Um, Elena didn't know that, but for me, I followed her, (laughs) I followed her career, um, also because of that. I mean, there's just a lot of love for her in that state. And so it felt like a very easy kind of relationship. And, you know, if you think about where things were in 2015, it was pre-Olympics. I think she was about to win her first MVP. So it was just a really, it was a great time you know, to have that opportunity. And and we did a lot of fun stuff. Like you've negotiated men's contracts and women's contracts. Is there a different way you have to go about negotiating when it is a woman's brand deal? I mean, I would say understanding the fact that women don't get as many deals, so they might not be as apt to, you might be like, hey, this is a star in the WNBA, but does it hold the same weight if, if you go to a brand and say it's a star in the NBA? I don't know. I'm just curious. Like, how does that work? Again, this has evolved so much over the the span of my career. But what I always would say is like, I don't have to go in the door to a company and be like, here's why an NBA player is important. Or here's why the NBA is important. They already like culturally and in every other way have some sense of how big the league is, how big it is globally, like who the audience is. We're really getting there with with the WNBA. But for a lot of years, the first sell was like, here's why you why you should be involved in women's sports. And to some extent, it still is. But now that we have the media doing a little bit more of that work for us and saying, like, look at the audience growth, look, look at the viewership numbers, look at the there are certain these like key indicators that the media will happily point out for us now. So then it it has become much more part of like the common discourse. Like people get it and they're talking about it. And so you don't have to always come in and say like, here's why this is good. You know, I used to be like, look, women sports fans are so avid. They're so avid. They have to work so hard to be fans. So when you have them, they over-index. They are much more likely to buy products from companies that support the athletes that they love. That's one way to get in there. But it's so um, incredible to see more and more female athletes really like tra- almost transcending their sport and becoming like pop culture icons. And I mean, I love it at the NIL level because I think it just like pops up, up, up um, into the W2. But it is night and day. I was talking to, um, there are a couple markers for me that I think are so vivid in my head. One is New York. Like I sat, in that arena the other night, courtside with, you know, one of the partners of my company, one of the founders, which I love that he was there. He was pumped. He had the best time. Um, another one of one of my colleagues, Colleen Garrity, who's amazing. And I was looking around and going like four years ago, I was sitting in what essentially is like a community center in Westchester. You're talking about Westchester where I play <laughs> But like, can you believe the change? It's like, because I'm gonna tell you right now. So I'm so glad that you brought that up because for me, New York is like, it's one of those trips where I love Broadway shows, right? So I would just literally go by myself. Every time we had a trip to New York, I would go to the Broadway shows. And so when we played in Westchester, it was like, I did not even feel like this was my New York trip anymore. It was like, where are we? What's happening? Am I in a theater? Am I actually the the show now in the theater? So it's like, but to see it now, I mean, like, I just love growth for the league. It's it's crazy over there. We see movies, right? Like, we've all seen the movies, uh, Jerry Maguire. And you have, like I talked about, Arike. You have Nafisha, superstars. Like, we know the movies are fake. So what's a real relationship look like with an agent? I mean, honestly, I want to ask you that question about, like, what makes a good relationship for you with an agent? Because I love working with all my clients. Like, the first thing my dad ever said to me is you have to like when you're recruiting somebody or going after them, he's like the first test, which sounds so obvious should be like, do you like them? Do you like them as a player? Do you like how they present themselves? Do you like, do you have an affinity for them? Not just like what other people say. That's really good. Yeah. Cause they could be the number one pick, but what if you didn't like them and they were, what if there's not a connection? Like it's probably not going to be a successful relationship. That's my take on it. But I, I also feel like this job, like it is such a privilege. We're invited in many cases, not every case, but in just like such personal spaces. So that's also part of it. And as I get older, like that has all changed. Like when I started doing this, I was sort of almost the same age. 
I said, athletes that I was working with. And now they're getting younger and younger and younger. younger, And I'm like the same age as their parents. So my relationship (laughs) has changed. I find that what they're nervous to tell me at first, I'm like, listen, I'm not your parents. (laughs) I've seen (laughs) and heard probably it all. (laughs) So like, if you need help with anything, I'm here. Also my phone, I have my client's number set so that like anytime I can always hear it ring. No. So that's the relationship. Like I'm here to help. I think one of the things, because it can border on like friendship or that kind of closeness. And and I appreciate that. And I, I want to feel that way, but at the end of the day, like I work for my clients, my job, they're the CEO of their own business themselves. I am in a role where I will provide my experience, my guidance, my relationships, my contacts, all of those things. But at the end of the day, like I work for you. So you set the agenda. You have to tell me what the guardrails are, right? So like with Jenny, Jenny's a really has a very clear example of like when we first started working together, she would say to me, and it was if you think about the time at, you know, in the late 2000s, early 2010s or whatever, some of the things that were going on, you know, she was being asked to be on like the show Girls Next Door or, you know, partner with Captain Morgan's because they're an MLB partner or other things. And she was like, look, if a 13 year old girl can't buy this, consume it or connect to it because her parents wouldn't want her to, like, it's an automatic no from me. And that was such a fantastic guideline to be given. Cause I was like, great. I don't even have to bother you. <laughs> How is it when, you know, like you might say, I know party next girls isn't for my client, but what if your client like, wasn't as like Jenny, that is smart. Cause you know, that's not my brand, but what if your client, you're like, that's not your brand, but they think it is. What do you do in that situation where it's like, where, you know, it might not be a good look for them, but I know they are the CEO. Like, how do you kind of navigate that? To be honest, I don't think we've had, I've had that many like real disagreements like that. I think usually we've already done the groundwork and we're pretty much on the same page about the direction we're trying to go. But I would just say, what would you, you would want somebody to say to you, like, I don't think this is a good idea. (laughs) I'm the keep it real type. I'm the, don't give me no sugar. Just what is it? I would be like, just tell me, Aaron, what is it? <laughs> tell me, am I fired? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so funny. Like, I will just say, and my client, I think they'll tell you. I'm always just like, here's my opinion. I will do whatever you tell me to do. Cool. I like that. this. And I just try to give them all the information. They have to have all the information to make the, deci- the best decision for them. And um, we package that up, we give it to them. And then it's like, okay you know, what's next. So one thing I learned in the first few years of this job was I watched some of the people around me who shall remain nameless, avoid giving their clients bad news, like to the point where they weren't picking up phone calls or responding to texts. And then I would, they would be like, Hey, they would get me. And they'd be like, Hey, have you seen so-and-so? I need to get all of them. I need answers on this or that. And I would be like, looking at that person. (laughs) (laughs) in my line of sight and being like, no, don't know where they are. Haven't seen them. Like I'll try to get hold of them and get them to call you back. And I just remember then being like, I have to learn how to deliver bad news because it's part of the job and it's part of the business. And so that was actually like a skill I worked on. I mean, I, that sounds crazy, but like, want to be the bearer of bad news. Like, I mean, I, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm really bad when it comes to confrontation. It's like, I really don't like it. So how can we just get past it quickly? But sometimes you have to meet it head on. So I guess that's the, the same concept. But you have tell me, like, I, I know you're asking the questions here, but like you have representation. You have been in this business and in this space. Like what makes, like, I am so... Yeah. For feedback from all people, like what makes a good agent to you? All right, let's do this. So my basketball agent was Eric Wassell. I stayed with him my whole time. Um, What I say that I value is like consistency. So I value like transparency and consistency. So it's like, are we close to this deal? Or are we not like, we're not close to every deal. Like I know that. So it's like, just, just shoot it to me straight. Because if you constantly make me think that we're close and we constantly keep on not getting, I'm gonna be like, what's up. But I would say that I just like somebody that's just transparent. And I feel like it's genuine. Um, and now my post basketball career, I'm with WME and I'm with Rob Kozgowski. And I, I love that this is a whole new world. So it's like, I, I thought for basketball too, it's interesting because you see how you're working on brand deals and different things. 
my basketball agent was pretty much just my basketball overseas contract agent. So it wasn't as I would probably say as communicative as your are now because like you, you got Nafisha who has unrivaled. So I, we're going to talk about that, but that's a whole different world. So that's why I'm going to go to my agent Rob at WME. And I think that for me, it's like, I just would value, like you said, you know how you said like, I work, like I value, like if I see somebody putting in that work to me, like the effort, that's, that's, I would say what I probably value the most, like Rob, he works. And so it's like, we ain't going to get every deal, but if if, I, if it feels like an agent is chilling or, you know, like not in the mix, like if I was always telling my agent stuff, I hope that my agent would have knowledge. I guess I would say that, but I've never really been asked that before. Thank you for asking. Oh, do you have any other questions? I'm sure I will. I always have questions. <laughs> okay. Well then let's get to it then because you have clients, like you said, they're the CEO of their own brands. And we now WNBA players, we love to see it. There's big brands going on right now. And Nafisha Collier shouts to the moms in the league. She has a new league that she started three V three league with New York Liberty Stewie MVP. And so what is that like now? It's called Unrivaled. How involved are agents when it comes to projects that their clients are building? Is this her own thing? Are you involved in it? Yes, it's her own thing. She and Stewie are doing this. They have an entire team of people working on this. I am involved, obviously. I mean, I think one of... So first of all, this isn't even the first time I've been through this process. (laughs) I worked with another client who um, ultimately went on to very successfully launch PLL, the Premier Lacrosse League. It's his work. Like I am not in any way, I don't want to, I just think, I think you guys as athletes are such incredible people and the the same qualities that drive you to success on the field or on the court makes you just like incredible business people when you apply the same energy, I guess, to, to a new, new venture. And so that's what Fee is doing right now. She's wholly committed to, you know, finding ways, new ways for players to have options to stay in the U S in the off season. That's really the driver for this. And in terms of my involvement and, and my company's involvement, it's because again, I'm like just the tip of the thin end of the wedge uh, or tip of the spear. We have just incredible relationships across so many businesses. I mean, Excel, I'm so proud to be part of Excel. Like, like I said, Mark Steinberg, who really very much enjoyed the Liberty game the other night is, you know, Tiger Woods, like career long agent. And so he's involved in all of Tiger's business ventures. He's opening a club in New York with Justin Timberlake. He's got this golf cart. He's got all these things. Is it like T-squared? I think I saw something about that. Yeah. So we're the ability to not just it's not just for like what I know or what I've learned, the ability to tap into their background, their knowledge, the information they have, the relationships they have. We have, you know, an incredible sales team at Excel, which I also also think is like unusual in our space. It's extremely well organized and well run. It's large. So the ability to like the driver for any new league, it's sort of to my understanding, falls into three buckets, right? It's the, you have the people who are coming in as um, investors, you have the media rights component of it. And then you have, well, so I guess four, you have the athletes who will commit to it. And then the, um, the brand partnerships that will help drive revenue. And in addition to the media rights deal that, that sort of reassures the investors and the athletes. So it's, a very circular thing, but we can certainly contribute in a number of those different kind of buckets, whether it's other clients, whether it's brands that we consult for or brands that we have relationships with. It's even in terms of like organizational folks who are out there who do a really good job, just, you know, being part of the conversation, providing ideas, contacts, meet, setting up meetings, whatever. We're, we're, I'm all in. I mean, I want, I want fees, success, and that of any other client too, for to extend beyond their playing career. Yeah. You know, like that's so important for everybody. And I'm older. So <laughs> you I stop saying that. Like, we're not just looking at your face right now. No, no, no. But I mean, like, I feel like I'm at the stage of life where I'm like, okay, I see I've been through this cycle with athletes now more than one time. And so like, I know what comes next. I know what that looks like and having something that you're already kind of nurturing and cultivating while you're still playing, I think is such an incredible gift because not everybody knows. I mean, the other part of it is like everybody's different and not everybody knows what 
they want to do next. Like you, you also are exceptional in that way where I feel like you literally one day stepped off the court and then the next were like <laughs> a media star slash mogul. So I feel, I feel like have, trying to have those conversations can be interesting and a little tricky because everybody is just so different in terms of like what they envision their actual playing career to look like. But I love the process of like exploring and asking questions and then trying to help tee things up. Thank you so much for just, man, just being transparent. I think that conversations matter and I loved having this conversation with you. So I appreciate you joining me here on MoCo. I appreciate you. Keep going. All right, so I loved hearing from Erin Kane because she showed that athletes, they're equipped right now to start their own leagues like Unrivaled or to run their own companies like we see some of these executives doing. But, you know, she also set the table for like, there's a lot going on that people may or may not know about. So we're about to get into MoCo Newsroom and just hit on these topics real quick. Let's get it. We got MoCo Newsroom coming through where there's a lot of topics to hit on. So Shaq and AI became the president and vice president of Reebok, respectively. And as their first move, they signed Angel Reese, big MIL sign. Thoughts on Angel Reese? I mean, I've seen tweets saying like, oh, Reebok about to be dope again. Thoughts, comments. What's up, crew? Okay, before we hit on Angel, let's just hit on Alan Iverson. You know, he's a real big <laughs> favorite of mine. I am just elated. I can't even put it any other way to see that he's getting an opportunity to shine and make a little money for his pocket and everything. So that part I am tickled about. I was just that part. Like, that part. <laughs> I love AI too. And I'm happy about them doing Angel Reese. It seems like I've been watching all the things that have been going on with signings and shoes and everything. So I'm just happy about Angel getting signed with, with Reebok. There it is. Yes. <laughs> Giving the women some love. The inclusion yeah. <laughs> of it all. That's the inclusion of it all. The blackness of it all. Salute to all our Caucasian <laughs> fans, uh, listeners, and <laughs> Caucasus Mountains. We love y'all equally. I'm but it's just pissed. awesome to see the, our our heroes, Shaquille O'Neal, Allen Iverson, mm. are doing these moves and placing our young sister in a great play, a great position, and that's just so beautiful. She's one of the pioneers. LSU LSU connection between us. Yeah, Shaq. lit. Couldn't be more beautiful, man. Just say you. it, Mr. J. Just say it. Okay, so listen, that's a good transition because you might know him as Juju, but if y'all don't know why we calling him Mr. J, it's, be, it's because he just dropped, baby. We got Juju has his, listen, tell us about it. When did it drop? I know Serena been playing the song with Smetty on there. Listen, tell <laughs> us about Mr. J, please. Uh, 10 10, you feel me? Last Tuesday, salute to the old school. I put it out on a Tuesday like Sam Goody. You did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it means a lot to me because every person on this song represents a piece of my life. Uh, my partner, JT, he represents where I come from. My sister, Smitty, represents where I am. And my sister, Eli, I, I feel like she is the future and she represents what I want to be, which is like just so excited about the music game and I've been seeing her do her thing for so long and it's an honor to have worked with them on this project and it's an honor to talk about it in front of the Renee Montgomery and the <laughs> Snook and the Nicole, <laughs> the, the Serena and the Roy. Thank y'all so much. Salute to Paul. Well, thank you for blessing us with good music. Yes. 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 Like, go download it wherever you get your music. Download it, Mr. J. But Juju, so talk to me about it because I follow Russ. And if anybody follows Russ, he talks a lot about the journey of an independent artist. He talks about the pros. He talks about the cons. So, like, what is that like for you? You dropped a, your EP. You said 1010 on a Tuesday. So what is that like from an independent standpoint? Like, how has that been for you? From an independent standpoint, all the work is up to me. So it's like 
there is no help there is no manager that's calling people to give me an interview there is no person setting up shows for me to perform at it's a bit intimidating especially whenever you putting something out that you care so much about and people might not like it and you also being the executive for that person as well could be a bit challenging but the way my God works, I put all my faith in him and I know he going to get me through. Amen, bro. Okay. I love that. I like that. Renee and I talk about this all the time. Lady Gaga also talks about how she had to be her own manager. She was calling people, making pretend that she was somebody else. She she even put on like a like an English accent or something like a British yeah, Juju, accent. Juju, how's your English accent? <laughs> it's quite good, bro. It's, 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 literally, it's literally. I thought it was a little bit more Australian, but it's cool. <laughs> This is the struggles of independent artists. And so I, that's why I'm bringing it to everyone's attention. So it ain't going to hurt you none to literally, if you're listening to this right now, to just go on there, type in Mr. J, Juju, then find it, show some love. It's not easy. This is bootstrapping. He on here right now. This is, he still got an album he put out. He on here with us. So it's not going to hurt you none. Mr. J, type it in, Juju. Push the plus sign and get right to it. From TMZ Sports, I'm going to just read the tweet. Terrell Owens struck by a car after argument during a pickup basketball game, the cops say. <laughs> Wait, what? Wow. There's a lot of questions. First of all, I hope T.O. is okay. Um, I'm hoping that it wasn't nothing serious. My first thoughts was when I thought a white man can't jump and it's like pickup games can get serious. I don't know what happened, but... That's the news. TMZ reported that this is all we have right now. Terrell Owens was struck by a car after an argument during a pickup basketball game, the cops say. I don't understand the title. It's so much right and, and wrong with it. Like, they give you a piece of detail. They right. don't tell you if the man's <laughs> it okay. It's like, is he okay? The cops what? are the right. ones saying. The cops are the ones saying. Uh, it's clickbait. Like, it is, no, it's, it's completely clickbait, but it tells you everything and nothing all at the same time. We definitely clicked on it, too. The cops say it sounded like they beat him up and then say he got by cars. <laughs> oh, the police report. It's a lie. <laughs> There's a lot going on. So we gonna just wait to find out more. But that is news. The WNBA, we I talked about it a lot. I talk about it quite often, but everything's on the rise. And so even job hirings are on the rise. And the reason I'm saying that is because we have two new job hirings in the WNBA. Teresa Weatherspoon got hired um, at the Chicago Sky. She was with the NBA for a very long time, for the Pelicans to be exact. Then she became available. Well, we knew as soon as she was available that she was going to get gobbled up. Chicago Sky was like, get over here. And basically now they have a legendary coach, New York Liberty fans. I know y'all know about Teresa Weatherspoon, but reactions, thoughts on Teresa Weatherspoon now being the head coach for the Chicago Sky. I'm just tickled because, you know, there has to be some kind of transition for players to go to. And so this is like she's made one step. Now she's made two. So, you know, maybe three, you know, like you did, Renee, maybe she'll make another step up and, you know, become an owner or whatever. But there has to be something and there has to be some rewards for players, female players, especially who play the game somewhere for them to go and to progress upwardly after they leave the court. I love that. I mean, and, and from what I hear, the head coaching position is pretty good right now because their pay is is a big topic of discussion right now. So the head coaches are getting paid a lot of money as they should. But, you know, people have thoughts about that. So, you know, I agree with you, Snug. There has to be some kind of upward pipeline. Mobility, up exactly. Mobility. And salute to Dwayne Wade. So, like, yes. Dwayne Wade coming in and having a hands-on effect. Take, show that to the rest of these people out here, D-Wade. The, the <laughs> babies of the world, the LeBrons of the world, all the athletes of the world, Justin Fields, everybody. Brother, it don't take much. Sit down and do some stuff you love about. And, and when you're doing it, care for it. Show care for it. And, and Dwayne Wade is showing that he cares in Chicago. Who else better to hire as your head coach than the legend? You feel me? Legend PG. Like, salute to everybody involved over there in Chicago. Great move. Yeah, it seems like they're doing the same thing that Reebok is doing. You know, they're going the right direction. You know, like somebody over there is thinking. Somebody over there has, you know, like sees sees what's going on and they see okay this this is the right move for that so I, 
I love that. And and just I forgot to mention before, I love what Shaq is doing, too, because he's putting his money where his mouth is because he even represents Haley Jones, who's on the Atlanta Dream. So he's he's representing different women's basketball you know, personalities because he, he knows that that's the next big wave. Everybody knows that is all eyes on women's sports right now. I just can't move on until I talk about Kobe. A lot of these players, the NBA players, especially they have daughters. And Kobe was a prime example of, you know, my daughter, she wants to play basketball, so I'm going to get involved. So all of you NBA players out there who have daughters, let's get them on the court. Let's get some daddy's girls out there. You know, <laughs> The showing that you care is so big. And I do not want to do this and I do not mean to do this, but we just had uh, Iowa uh, women's basketball game, the biggest uh, attended game. 55,646 fans. That is such a, so amazing. And you do such a disservice to it by programming it against the WNBA championship. I'm mm -hmm. saying the people in charge, I know y'all care, but we got to roll up our sleeves and do a little bit better job because mm -hmm. you can't tell me that Caitlin Clark fans don't want to see the championship. You can't tell me that, man. So let's try to get it a little better. I'm sorry for doing that right quick. Renee mentioned that that's the TV stations that do that, correct, Renee? Yeah, I mean, you have to go in available slots. So it's just like anything else. It's like if there is something slated for that time, they're going to give you the available slots. And here's another thing. I mean, our championships fall into the start of the NFL season. Well, unfortunately, Saturdays are going to be college football. Sundays are NFL. Mondays are NFL. Thursdays are NFL. When the NBA comes back, the NBA has Tuesdays and Thursdays on TNT, Wednesdays and Fridays on ESPN for the NBA. Where are we going to be? Like, I mean, and then Roy's talking about the MLB playoffs, the World Series. It's just like a relationship, though. You make time for what you want to do. Okay, okay. I, like that. Hey. I know we're scheduling issues, but this is important, just as important as all these other things. So let's make time for our product. Let's keep it moving then on the topics. Now we've already talked about the hiring of Teresa Weatherspoon, and there was another coach that was also hired. His name is Nate Tibbetts, and this actually kind of brings me to the thing. So I'm going to read a tweet from M.A. Vopel. M.A. writes for ESPN, and the tweet kind of sums up the energy of the hire, because there's a lot that goes into when you choose who you choose to represent your team. And so this is end quote concern over Phoenix Mercury head coach choice is many layered, including about implicit bias in hiring a black woman who played in the WNBA was elevated to the Mercury's interim head coach to clean up the messes of the previous year and a half and work to rebuild the player's confidence. So if you say, well, Nikki Blue's record after taking over was 7-21. and 21. I would defy the greatest coaches in history to somehow magically X and O their way to a much better with the roster construction, injuries, illness, outside issues, and dysfunction the Mercury dealt with. Still, if the decision was to go another direction, okay. But the choice is someone who has no experience in the WNBA or women's basketball has some G League head coaching experience, but has primarily been an assistant and steps in reportedly as the highest paid coach in the WNBA. Suns and Mercury owner Matt Ishbia has invested heavily in a new Mercury practice facility and says he wants to make the WNBA's top organization there. It's great to see that commitment, but Mercury's high profile hiring so far raised questions about whether the qualifications, air quotes, are what they are. None of this is meant to question how good coach Nate Tibbetts is or will be. He may do a great job in Phoenix. It's about the opportunities that black women in particular don't get, especially in a business where they represent the majority of the workforce. If a man who had spent most of his career in women's basketball or the WNBA and or had a lengthy coaching track record got the Mercury job, there would be less rancor about this hire. None of this is anti-male. It's about how hard black women, especially must work to even get a fair chance when the message is now we really are investing and now we really care and now we really are going to be the best from a new owner it's especially disheartening not to get that chance so lastly for those who may say well becky hammond's coaching experience was all nba before she became a WNBA head coach if you don't consider her 16 years as a WNBA player a clear difference from the mercury hire we can't have a serious conversation. Cole, uh, you are rolling yes. your eyes, so let's just go <laughs> right to Cole. Hear, Cole, Cole. What, what's, your, <laughs> what's your thoughts, Cole? 
I don't have words that are politically correct to use right now. I just think we my eye roll and my shoulder shrug is it should be enough. It all. I mean, it says what it says. And if y'all have questions, ask me. But it says what it says. It's like you you purposely let this woman drown in that mess. And then and then you say, great job. But we're going to hire someone and when they people when they go searching people out i understand when you search out coaches there are certain criteria how do you have where where was the list what how did his resume get to the top i that's my only question it's like how did his resume get to the top and like they said i'm not gonna say the man is not gonna do a great job or he's not qualified to do it well, actually, I'm going to say he's not qualified to do it, but he's not going to do a great job in my show. But my point is, is that how did his resume get to, that always amazes me? How did his resume get to the top? It's almost like an experiment. Like, let's see what happened. It's almost like what was that movie where, you know, they took a person off the street? I think it was Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Trading places. Oh, yeah. Trading, Trading places. places. And they just threw him up there. And then they're like, you know what? If we tell him he could do it, then he can do it. But that's not fair to people who are already in the position, who have worked, who have experience, who have been working with teams and developing their coaching and their basketball acumen to just just pull somebody and say, yeah, you know what? Go ahead and try it. We'll see what happens. So I just I'm sick of hearing it. I'm tired. It ain't nothing else I can say about it. So I don't have nothing nice to say. So I'm going to say nothing else at all. Mic drop. That's it. There was a lot of Twitter talk that was kind of the same sentiment. You know, people were quote tweeting it. Um, LaChina Robinson quote tweeted it and said, excuse me. Um, there was Don Montgomery, friend of the show, quote tweeted it and said, now if I speak. So there's a lot of people that it has nothing to do with Nate because it's like, again, Nate is probably going to go on to be a great coach the same way that Nikki Blue could have went on to be a great coach, I think is the point that a lot of people are making. Is Nikki Blue still a part of the coaching staff? Well, usually if you hire a head coach, the normal protocol is that they get to hire their own assistant coaches, their own mm. team. Ain't that about a biscuit? Yeah. I'm assuming that Nate will assemble his own team now because of all of this noise, you know, a smart thing to do in all of branch would be to have Nikki be on the team, but you never know if Nikki even wants Keep to it. be. Yeah. I don't even want it. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, you see, see you see, peace. you don't even know Here now. We, go. we need people to rise up through the ranks and be in the management ownership group so that they can help stop things like this from happening you know like i said if there's no one in the room when the decisions are made this is why these crazy decisions are made no one's in the room tone deaf that's the thing Cole. i think you you hit on it because it's like i wholeheartedly believe that the owner over there at phoenix matt I know that he's trying to do the best of the best. Like, that's the problem where it's like, I know that he's like, I'm going to invest the money. I'm going to get them a facility. I'm going to invest the money and the staff. I'm going to get them the best of the best. And that's why when we're talking about like, who's running things in, in positions of power, when you're connected to the product or you're connected, you would have probably known that, man, if we have this much money, maybe we should go out and get a top college coach because right now the college coaches in the w are making more than WNBA coaches. So if you had somebody like, oh, you want to invest, Matt? Oh, okay. You want to really, you want to really put your money where your mouth is? This is the conversation we had with Larry G. You know, Larry G is our principal owner here at the Atlanta Dream. I'm like, listen, if we want to keep Tunisia, if we want to keep Coach Wright, we're going to have to put our money where our mouth is because the college teams is out there giving out contracts. So it's unfortunate because it's like, I'm really excited. Like, I'm so excited that we have owners coming in that want to invest money because that was a big problem before in a sense of that money isn't. So it's like, shouts to Matt. I want to shout out Matt because it's like, Matt, you did that. That facility that you're creating, the money that you're putting behind the mercury, it's like, shouts to you. And it's just unfortunate that this happened because it's like, I know Matt means well. It's just this higher, unfortunately. It's like, man, we we wish that it could have probably been somebody in the, the W community. Like they say, about football coaches you're a great coach but are you a leader of men and I feel like until you put this man in charge of women you have to make sure that this man can be a leader of women and there's so many proven leaders of women that are scattered around this great country this great United States of America to give it to a novice 
salute to Matt, salute to the new coach, but bigger salute to our sister Nikki, bro. You did such yeah, a good job. That, that, them, them Mercury was dead in the water when she took over. She put a, a spark of life she had on the orange and black twelves on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> she did. No, and that's and that's for real because even on the same sense, you know, shouts to Elena Beard. I know that she was trying to put together an ownership group to bring a team to the Oakland area or the Bay area. And I know that maybe their group didn't get the bid. And so it's just shouts to those, those ones that are laying the foundation. Cause it's like, that's tough. It really is tough when it's like, I know Nikki, I've seen interviews where she felt like, you know what, even though I inherited a tough situation, because that was a tough situation that she inherited when she got that interim coach job, even though she inherited a, such a tough situation. I watched one of her interviews and it was like, Oh, she was, she was supposed to be a head coach. So I'm glad like she got a team now. I really did think that she was at least going to get a chance like to to get a chance to run it her way and to sign some players. So it's just tough because, again, former player did all the right steps, was an assistant coach, did the college route, assistant coach again in the pros, then made it to that seat. So it's tough. But, I, you know, her story not finished yet. I'm sure somebody's going to see that she did an amazing job. And her but story is a lot of people's stories, a lot of women's yes. stories. This is the thing. We're fans of the WNBA. At the end of the day, whenever we talk about these things, we talk about it from we've been down with the WNBA since day one, and we mean that literally. I'm older than the WNBA. So we've been down for the WNBA since day one. It was one. in my stomach when it came into existence. <laughs> stomach i was 10 when the wnba started <laughs> so i'm talking about they were we was with the wnba shooting in the gym so we got a right to say how we feel and this is just only things we're saying are things because we love it we bleed it we are the brand and so that's what we do around here because like hello moco this is a generational thing and so is the wnba and now it's a part of us you see it we're in the ownership group we're a part of it so we want nothing but the look we are the brand that's it Okay, so we want nothing but the best. So this is love. These are called, you know, love hugs. Sometimes it hurts. So shouts to Reebok. We talk a lot about Shaq getting it and Shaq does get it. So shouts to Shaq for getting it. And with his first appoint, he puts Angel Reese as the face of their NIL. Like he gets it. And shouts to Reebok because Reebok, you get it because you guys appointed Shaq and AI. The reason I'm saying that is because the people sitting in the positions have to put the right people in power. And in Reebok, they got it right. I don't care what happens from this point on, Reebok got it right. You have Shaq, you have AI who were the faces of your brand at a certain point. Now you're making new faces of your brand with new stars and they got it right. So I just wanted to shout out the people for putting in power the right people. Reebok got it right. It's about to be a generational thing with Reebok. See y'all next week. <laughs> <laughs>